Well, good morning. My name is Alex, and I serve as lead pastor here at Courtright. And I want to welcome you to our service uh, this Sunday, June the 20th. For the past month, we've been asking ourselves, why worship? Why do we do this? And through this sermon series, we've been looking more carefully at the particulars of what we do on Sunday mornings, as well as more generally at worship. What does it really mean to worship? And we've seen that God shapes us through worship, and there's an order to the way we practice worship on Sunday mornings. We've talked about a fourfold pattern of gathering, listening, responding, and sending. So we gather with the call to worship. We've already done that this morning. And the prayer of confession is also part of our gathering. We listen to God's word through the reading and teaching of scripture, and we're about to do that now. And then we respond to God with thanksgiving in various ways. And we're sent out at the end of the service with a benediction or a blessing, we sometimes call it. In the end, worship isn't about us and our preferences, though that tends to be our default position. We tend to think everything's about us. Jesus has to be the one at the heart of worship if it's to be true worship and if it's to be the hope that we're called to. So let's listen to Jesus now. Let's listen to his word. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, um, we are people who struggle to hear your truth. Uh, We find ways of getting around it. We're slippery. And I pray today that you would make your words sweet for us like honey. Would you give us a delight in it? Would you help us to see it in a new way? Would you bring it home? So there's a word for each and every one of us today. Would we be open to that? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we're going to read Psalm 19, and if you don't have a Bible with you, maybe this is a good time since today uh, we're preaching about the sermon and about God's Word. Um, Might be a great day to pull this up on your screen or in a hard copy so you can refer back to it. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They're sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. 
By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And I'm hoping this is the last Sunday that I don't hear a response to that. So here's a question for you. Would you say that you're a good listener? Is that your reputation? Well, I think some of us are more natural good listeners than others, but all of us can learn to be better listeners. And you can actually think of the whole Christian life as being like that. We're learning to listen to God speaking to us. That's what it means to be a disciple. It means to be learning various things. So next week, we'll talk about our response to what God has to say. But Psalm 19 is about listening, and it covers three categories of speech or words. First of all, the words of creation. In the first six verses, we'll see the natural world speech. Secondly, the word of God. From verses 7 to 11 of this psalm, the word of God, his law, his Torah, as the Hebrew word for it is laid out. And then finally, the word for ourselves. This is meant to be personal. And so in verses 12 to 14, we'll see that this is for us. First, we have the words of creation. The heavens declare the glory of God, writes the psalmist. The, so the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they reveal knowledge. And so the beauty and order of the natural world point to the existence of God. They fill us with awe and awaken a longing for something beyond ourselves. And they may also leave us feeling small, maybe even insignificant and alone in the universe. I think for everyone, the natural world evokes this longing. Many people are searching for something beyond themselves, a spirituality that can explain life and even make a personal connection with us, perhaps offer love and meaning, something deeper. But the natural world doesn't actually say anything. The skies do not speak to us. And so we have the weirdness of verse 3, which seems to contradict what came right before it. The heavens, the skies have no speech. They use no words, it says. No sound is heard from them. But that abrupt contrast highlights the reality that we can learn a lot from the natural world. The speech of creation is what theologians sometimes call general or natural revelation. It's what you can know about God and about spiritual things simply by observing the natural world and human nature, including morality, and using your God-given reason to figure out what it means to start to do that. 
We can learn so much from the world around us. All of us, from artists to scientists, pay attention to what I'm calling creation. It does have a voice, in fact, and its words do go out to the ends of the earth. But here's the thing. The natural world is awesome and beautiful, and yet it will never be your friend. It will never satisfy your need for relationship, for communication, to speak to another and to be spoken to. It's a wonder, but it's not enough. Gord Downey was the lead singer and songwriter for The Tragically Hip, one of Canada's most popular bands over the past 20 years. And it's actually five years ago that they were on tour, their final tour after Gord Downey was diagnosed with brain cancer. My favorite tragically hip song is Bob Cajun. And I love the chorus of that song most of all. I imagine Gord Downey staring up at the heavens as he sings, it was in Bob Cajun where I saw the constellations reveal themselves one star at a time. It's such a great line. It's the kind of line songwriters would die for. And it stands for something all of us feel. It's this longing for something larger, for beauty, for the expanse of the sky, for eternity, and for God, I would say. Gord Downey somehow makes the stars personal. After all, constellations cannot reveal themselves. That's not scientific. Stars are simply great spheres of fiery gas. And yet we wonder as we look up at the night sky, don't we? We ask, are we all alone? Or is there something behind all that beauty? Is there someone who can reveal what it means? Who can perhaps give us what we long for? Who can love us? protect us, watch over us. Now, there are lots of words out there. Poetry, music, books and more books, words on the internet. It's overwhelming at times. But Psalm 19 tells us that only the law of God, only God's word is perfect. Nature is wonderful and it can start to point you to God, but it cannot refresh your soul. And there's a change here over the course of these early verses of the psalm. In the first six verses, the psalmist talks about God. And that, that is the Hebrew word Elohim. It's a generic word for mighty God. But as soon as it begins to talk about Scripture, about God's word, in verse 7, it changes to the Lord the law of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commands of the Lord. And that is Yahweh, God's personal name. It's the name God gives to people who enter into a loving covenant relationship with him, who experience that closeness to God and his blessing. So Psalm 19 says, if you want to know about God, then sure, look at the amazing natural world around you. But if you want to know about God who loves you and has a word for you, a word of life, a word of encouragement, a word of hope, 
The only way to find that is in Scripture, which we call special revelation. Because if you study the natural world, you will not get to a personal God of love. What you get if you study the natural world is the strong eating the weak. You get natural selection. It's one thing to enjoy the sunset and to enjoy the night sky from your cottage near Bob Cajun, perhaps, but the lesson of nature is brutal, and it comes through hurricanes, tsunamis, and earthquakes, and it ends in death and destruction. And you learn the same thing if you study human history, whether it's the ancient world or the early modern wars of religion or the way more disastrous secular wars of the past century with colonialism and even genocide on a scale no one could have imagined. It's the story of those with power seeking to dominate and exploit. It's going to take God's word to change that, to refresh the soul. Other translations talk about reviving the soul or restoring it. Your soul is who you really are deep down. It's your core, your heart. And the psalm tells us that it needs to be revived and restored. So that must mean there's something wrong with it, something lacking. Now that word refreshed also has connotations of renovation. It, it, it alludes to a house that is in really bad shape, that it's falling apart and you can't even live in it. And so the implication here is that our souls are run down. They're in disrepair. They need to be restored from their ruined state. Why is that? Well, partly because we're crushed by the troubles of the outside world. Circumstances, difficulties, bearing down on us, but also we're crushed by the troubles within us, by our own sins, our selfishness, our brokenness. But here's the dilemma. The word of God is described here as refreshing and sweet like honey. And yet this list of words used to represent God's word, law, decrees, commands, statutes, they also tell you all the things you're doing wrong. God's word gives you a standard that you're never going to live up to. Maybe you can think of someone in your life who seems to have it all together, who seems practically perfect, who never seems to struggle. And you've got this voice in your own head that sometimes says, you'll never measure up to that you'll never measure up to much of anything. I had a basketball coach like that in high school. He was relentless with his criticism of our team. He really yelled at us. I've never experienced someone yell quite that loudly and intensely. And guess what? He was right, actually. We were terrible. But he was also a terrible coach. And we just got worse under him. So is the word of God like that? If it is, how can it refresh our souls? Well, the word of God isn't like that because we know that God is full of mercy and kindness, that he's slow to anger and quick to forgive. 
At the same time, we, we also know that God is holy and uncompromising. So where does that leave us? Well, the key comes at the end of the psalm. David, the psalmist, writes, May the words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And that's the language of sacrifice, the way the Jewish people worshipped. You had to bring your best, your best sheep, your best goat, as a sacrifice for it to be acceptable and pleasing. And you had to live that way too. You had to obey God's commands. And in the end, it was impossible. It was crushing. But the very last word of this psalm changes everything. And that word is redeemer. We are not blameless. We are not innocent of transgression. We rebelled against God and we went our own way. But God sent one with whom he was well pleased, the only innocent and blameless one. Jesus is our redeemer who came to lay down his life for us and give himself as the sacrifice for our sins. And through him, God has promised to refresh and restore us, to bring reconciliation. And so you have to read all of this all of the Old Testament, really, which, which we need, we can't do without it, you have to read all of it through Jesus. And then God's law and everything else in Psalm 19 will become a delight and it will start to revive your soul. There is no condemnation when we are in Christ because he took all of it on himself. And so now I can turn to God's law and why am I turning to it? Because it pleases God, because it changes me, because it shapes me more into someone who's like him, and it restores my soul. How does that happen practically? Well, we've heard the words of creation at the start of this psalm. Uh, we've just looked at God's word. And now... The third point is that there's a word for ourselves. Now, God's word is for ourselves, but sometimes we can be aware of it, we can know it, and yet not receive it personally. So how do you listen to a sermon? Let's get really practical here. In verse 12, we get a question that seems to come out of nowhere. But who can discern their own errors? That's an invitation to examine your own heart with the sermon that you're hearing preached. Many of you have heard everything I've said today before. You are familiar with God's word, but if it's going to revive you, you have got to be willing. You need to humbly receive the sermon and really listen for God's message in it for you. That's not what most people do. What we usually do is judge and criticize the sermon. And I'm the worst at this, let me say that, because I'm a preacher. It's an occupational hazard for me to pick every sermon apart. And I'm, I'm tempted to do that when I'm on a vacation and I'm listening to other preachers. How about you when you first hear a preacher? Maybe you're suspicious. You wonder if you can trust this person's theology. You're looking for markers, things he or she might say that will give them away. Or you wonder about their politics. Or maybe you just don't like the way they look, how they're dressed. Maybe they remind you of your old basketball coach. That doesn't go over so well. 
or someone else in your life who is unpleasant. Or they're not a good enough speaker. They have no sense of humor or they're boring. You don't like this, you don't like that. I was supposed to preach last Sunday, but I was sick and Justin stepped in. And I was in my living room on Sunday morning listening to the sermon and I was trying to not get distracted by all the family, what should I call that? All the family activity, there we go. Because I needed to listen and take notes so I could provide feedback on the preaching. We do that every week. And then suddenly I realized that Justin was preaching to me personally. He was talking about how God is in control. And I realized how anxious I'd been that week with general assembly going on and how much I had longed to control the outcome and how, how I'd been by turns engaged and upset or, or you know, just turning away in frustration, ready to wipe my hands of the whole thing. And so through that sermon, the Holy Spirit spoke correction and truth and grace to my heart. If you're sitting there waiting for the sermon to be good enough, or if you're looking for the greatest preacher, you're really missing the point. There's a story in the Old Testament about a prophet called Balaam, who wasn't listening to God, and, and he was on a journey one time, and he was riding on an ass, on a donkey, and, and God actually spoke to him through the animal to get his attention. And what that means is that God can speak to you through anyone. And, and yes, I, I think what I'm doing here is comparing preachers to asses. We are far from perfect, but the law of the Lord is perfect and it can revive your soul. And even if you've got a total ass preaching to you, reading from God's word to you, then you are not wasting your time. You are not here by accident. And so be open to the amazing things that God wants to do in your life. Try not to sit there with your arms crossed, self-righteous and critical, it won't do you any good, and it's ironic in a way that, that I'm, I'm preaching this once again, and I hope for the last time, to an empty room in our sanctuary. It's easier for me to say some of these things when you're not here. Some of you would have been sitting with your arms crossed. But let me encourage you and all of us, myself first of all, to receive God's word with humility to not look for the faults in the sermon, and especially not right afterwards to criticize it to others. Parents, that's especially important for you in front of your kids. But to listen in humility and God's word will revive your soul. He promises that it will. At the same time, let me offer a quick caveat, a quick warning that part of listening to a sermon is engaging with it to ensure that it is based on God's word. We have to be discriminating. G.K. Chesterton once wrote that merely having an open mind is nothing. The object or the goal of opening your mind as of opening your mouth is to shut it again on something solid. I love that and I think it's especially relevant today as eight of our youth come forward to profess their faith this morning 
because that's what they've been doing. They've been choosing God's word, God's truth and grace in Jesus Christ. And they're closing their mind. They're, they're, they're professing that they will adhere and that they will follow it. They are clinging to it. And that's going to be a lifelong journey. Now, there is false teaching out there, and you shouldn't be naive. You should not sit humbly under that kind of preaching. In the end, I believe that we're invited to understand the sermon and the other important ways that we listen to God's word on a daily basis, not as an exercise in reading comprehension, but as a personal encounter with Christ. That's where all of our worship leads. That is the heart of worship, and it's all about Jesus. In his letter to the Christians in the city of Ephesus, Paul talks about how Christ came and preached peace to them, which is actually pretty strange if you stop and think about it, because Jesus wasn't around at that point. It was long after he had ascended into heaven. But what Paul is really saying there is that when someone, another ordinary person, opens God's perfect word to you, it could be Christ preaching to you. Next Sunday, we'll look at how two disciples on the road to Emmaus experienced that kind of personal encounter, Jesus explaining his scriptures to them. And we'll talk about how word and table go together. The sermon and the sacrament of the Lord's Supper belong together. Jesus was revealed to those two disciples in the breaking of bread. And I'm also really glad to be able to let you know that we'll be celebrating communion together next Sunday on June 27th as part of our outdoor service. It has been a long time, too long, since we did that. And we will be resuming monthly communion services as well. So as more and more of us are able to come together in person on Sunday morning, we will again receive the grace of our Lord Jesus in that way together as we remember and proclaim him in the bread and the wine. And that will also be sweet like honey. Thanks be to God for his word, which points us to Jesus Christ. Amen.